terms of things you really want to get right in business, your exit strategy is number one on the list, in my opinion. It's the time when you're ready to leave, retire, sell, when you can actually maximise value and realise all of the blood, sweat and tears you've put into that business over, for some people, many years and perhaps even decades. It's the time when you can get to extract that value and fund your retirement. But there's a process, and the process is even more important for mid-market, more complicated, larger businesses. There's lots more to do and lots more that could go wrong. It's important to understand the process, how it works, and how it can help you maximise the value of your business and achieve a successful sale. Hi, I'm Craig West. In this episode of Mid-Market Matters, we're joined by Andrew Casson. Andrew's the partner for mergers and acquisitions at Succession Plus, and he's managed and supervised stacks and stacks of mid-market business sales over a long career in this particular area. So, Andrew, thanks for joining us, firstly. No problem at all. Great to be here. Um, the sales process. Bit of an overview. How long does it take? What are business owners, particularly these mid-market businesses that are more complicated and there's a bit more going on, what's the process look like? Well, the process will generally start, if you're well advised, with a due diligence process that that your advisors will undertake on your behalf. Because what they really want to do is find out early on what issues might arise later that external buyers might have an issue with. There might be material issues, might be big red flags that given enough time, you can take care of before you go on the market. And that can actually save many millions of dollars uh, in potentially lost price um, down the track um, and also advisor fees and all sorts of other things that come into play. What sort of things are you talking about? What sort of red flags might occur? Okay, so a lot of businesses in Australia, privately owned businesses, are still pretty much run under the firm grip of their founder and their owner. Mm -hmm. And whenever a business is what we call principal dependent – that is always a big flag to a, uh, a potential buyer. So what we always try and do is make sure there's a good management structure in place so that the founder or existing owner has the ability to step back from the business uh, and has delegated control and responsibility down into that management layer. It makes it a far more saleable asset and something that is far more appealing to buyers. Okay. So we've done the reverse due diligence. We've sort of found a few of these red flags. Hopefully we've got time to do something about fixing them. Then what? Well, typically you'll, you'll appoint uh, an intermediary on your behalf. So uh, someone who's going to be a corporate advisor or investment bank. Depends on the size of business that you've got uh, and the industry that you're in. You probably wouldn't appoint a, you know, a, a business broker um, because business brokers tend to specialise in the SME market. They tend to be uh, operating in smaller businesses that are worth anywhere between you know, $50,000 and maybe a couple of million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to go up the chain a little bit and deal with um, people with a lot more expertise, um, bigger teams, and far more uh, ability to approach potential buyers on your behalf. Mm-hmm. You've got to be careful, of course, that the intermediary that you appoint has got the appropriate licence for the jurisdiction that you're in. Yep. Um, there's often quite a lot of confusion around licensing, but that's that's pretty key. And what the intermediary will, will do from the get-go, or probably should do at the get-go, is get the entire deal team together for a, a conference. And that'll include your external accountants, lawyers, uh, and, and the advisors, just to make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's working towards a common goal. Once you've got your deal team in place, uh, the 
process of collecting or preparing the transaction documentation starts. And the transaction documentation is typically what we'd call an information memorandum, um, Mm -hmm. which is similar to a prospectus that you might find for a public company. And effectively, that's the marketing document. That's the, the document that goes out to the market that tells potential buyers about the business and where the opportunities are uh, and what the process is for making a bid on that business. The advisor will also set up a data room and that can either be physical or virtual and a virtual data room is stored in the cloud and there's plenty of uh, virtual data room providers out there in the marketplace that they'll suggest to you. And also making sure that all the, uh, the non-disclosure agreements are in place so that uh, when you finally start talking to buyers, the buyers have a document they can sign. So that's probably the next step. So up to this point, we haven't spoken to a buyer yet. That's a lot of work in the preparation phase. We've not, we're not yet talking to buyers. Absolutely not, no. Okay. You only get one crack at this. So if you've got a business uh, and you've been running it for 20, 30 years, you might have started the business, you might have inherited it uh, or even bought it yourself, you probably haven't ever sold a business before. Mm-hmm. You only get one crack at this. So you want to really make sure that it's well set up, well prepared, and is going to be the most appealing asset available in the marketplace when the buyers uh, come looking. Um, Keeping in mind that there's about, well, depending on the definition, but let's just assume there's about 18,000 businesses in Australia that would be in that mid-market. Yep. And of that, at least half are owned by baby boomers based on research that uh, is out there. So we're talking about 9,000 mid-market businesses that that, uh, are probably going to be changing hands sometime in the next decade or so. If you're not well prepared, your business is going to struggle to stand out in that. Amongst 9,000 uh, others. Amongst <laughs> 9,000 other businesses. Yeah, yeah. So you've really got to make sure it's well set up and well prepared. Okay. So we've done the preparation work. Um, we now need to go and find a buyer. Yep. How do we go about that? Because we're not talking about a business broker putting an ad in a window and hoping somebody likes the look of your cafe. <laughs> These are much more complicated transactions. So how do we go about that process? Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, you're not going to go and just put it on and put an ad in and, and hope for the best. Um, there's three typical types of buyers. The first one's the owner-operator. The owner-operators effectively buy themselves a job and they are the ones that business brokers tend to target with their, their cafes and restaurants. Yep. Uh, the people who own the business run the business and use that to drive an income. The next type of buyer is a financial buyer. And a financial buyer is typically trying to get a return on investment. Um, they, they want to put their money into an asset and get a return from that at a predetermined rate. And they might be the sort of buyer that funds a management buyout, for example, mm-hmm. or they might buy a share in an existing business, but they won't buy the whole business. And the final type of buyer that is, or the buyer type is the strategic buyer. The strategic buyer is, is the buyer that tends to gain the most from an asset. And that's because of the synergies that can be created through the merger of what they've already got um, or what they can do with the business once they've, they've got hold of it. And the strategic buyer can either be a, a trade buyer, so somebody in the trade, and that could be a customer, a supplier, a competitor. And the reason they would make an acquisition is because there might be some cross-selling opportunities, there might be some economies of scale, uh, there might be the ability to extract some operating synergies in terms of reducing back office costs or combining sales forces or whatever. And the whole you know, the synergy, the old one plus one equals three, they're, they're probably going to get a lot more out of the business than just someone who buys it for a return. Private equity can be a good strategic buyer. They're often got a three to five year time horizon once they buy a business to increase its value and then exit. Um, and also the family offices are, are coming into that space as well. 
probably not venture capital. They tend to be much earlier stage in businesses, but um, yeah, those later stage investors who have a reason to either consolidate or roll up businesses and then exit them on a larger scale. Um, pretty much anybody who's going to be able to get some sort of price arbitrage. So if you might have a, a great business and there's a, a company that's preparing to list on the, the ASX in a few months' time, and they might think, well, geez, well, yeah, we, we'll buy that at six or seven times earnings because we're going to list at 14 times earnings and automatically yep. they're going to get an arbitrage. So that's that's a great example of a strategic buyer. That's what we're really going to target. Okay, so we're going to target those people. How do we find them? How do we approach them? Well, mainly it's on the back of research. So we have a team of researchers that will scale the internet, who will delve into the Dubai databases, who will network with other advisors, um, accountants and lawyers, uh, and draw up a long list of potentials. Um, once we've got those potentials, we run that past the client, make sure that they're happy with that. Um, there's often, you, you think you've got the ideal buyer profile and you take it to the client and they'll say, no, we're not talking to them because they're a competitor or we don't like yep, them yep. or whatever the case may be. So you can make sure that you've got a, um, a curated list. Um, and then it's really a process of contacting them directly. And my preference is to pick up the phone. Um, some people prefer emails. Some people actually like to send letters. Um, who gets a letter these days? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably going to get True. opened. Yeah. <laughs> emails probably won't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that direct approach is, is really the best way to attract those strategic buyers. Um, and if you've got a really good advisory firm as your intermediary, they've probably got a very well established network of people that they just call upon. Okay. So from that contact, you know, you've got a curated list, you might have 20 people on it, hopefully you contact those. Some of them are interested, some of them are not, some of them don't even return your call, (laughs) assumedly. How does the process follow on from there? Okay, so we, the interested ones um, will sign a non-disclosure agreement mm-hmm. um, and that, for all intents and purposes, is supposed to prevent them from disclosing to them, to the market or to any other interested party that the business that they're looking at is on the market and any, any details of that business. Um, and I'm sure a lot of business owners would probably be shaking in their boots at the thought of yep. people knowing that their business is on the market because it's, uh, it's sensitive. Yep. Um, they could lose customers, staff, you know, yep. whatever. So it's really important that they sign a non-disclosure agreement. So they're at least you know, saying to you that they're not going to disclose that. Um, and the people who are approached uh, and, and say no, they've only really seen a teaser. They've only seen some really basic information, not enough to identify the business. Yep. Um, and once they've signed the NDA, they receive a copy of the information memorandum and we take the process from there. They're going to ask a lot of questions. They're going to want access to some background documents before they submit any type of offer. Um, And they're probably going to want to meet the business owner as well. So we'll facilitate that whole process and then the negotiations start. When you say negotiations start, what might that look like? Or give us some examples perhaps of, you know, easy, quick negotiation and also long, hard, difficult ones. Well, the easy negotiations are those where you know in advance how a buyer is going to buy. So you know what their transaction model is going to look like. You know how they prefer to to purchase, if it's a a purchase of business, purchase of shares. Uh, you know what sort of multiples or how, what sort of valuation metrics they How do you know this? How do you, how do you find this out? Well, typically- It's all research. Yeah, these are research right. uh, and also through the networks. So right. the people that you've dealt with over a period of time 
and you just get a feeling, you know, or you get an understanding of how they operate. So it's pretty straightforward. If you if you can take something to, for example, a private equity firm, you know they're going to pay you know a certain multiple. It could be six times EBIT. Yep. Because that's, that's the way they buy. Yep. Uh, and they want to achieve an internal rate of return of 30% because yep. that's what their mandate is. And they're operating in a certain, uh, they want to buy in certain sectors. Yep. If you can take them an opportunity that is effectively designed specifically for that to type of buyer, yep. then it's going to be a pretty straightforward negotiation process. It gets more difficult when you're dealing with someone you've never dealt with before um, or whose record of acquisitions is a bit volatile. So they might have bought some at low prices, might have paid a lot for, for others. Um, you might be dealing with a lot of different people. Um, so you might be dealing with, you know, overseas owners, for example. So there might be a local subsidiary that's interested, but then they have to go to, say, Japan yep. to actually get sign-off. Um, that's when things get interesting. So we get to some, hopefully, negotiated arrangement. I want to talk a little bit about price and terms because I think mm. the, what I'm seeing anyway is the market's changing. You know, price used to be price and mostly it was paid in cash. Sometimes you borrowed some of that from the bank, but that was it. Yep. Now it's a very different world. So what are you seeing in the market around terms and, and arrangements around the structure? Well, it's funny you mentioned the price paid and, um, you know, all cash and all that um, because, you know, interest rates are at record lows at the moment. You'd think it'd be pretty easy to borrow mm. money. Uh, and it's actually not, uh, particularly not against a business as the asset. So what a lot of buyers are asking for these days, and because there's always that threat of storm clouds on the horizon, Australia's you know hasn't has a, had a recession for however yep. many years. Yeah, um, there's always that worry that things are going to change. So a lot of buyers are demanding earnouts or requiring earnouts. Um, I don't particularly like earnouts myself, but uh, they are a part and parcel of a lot of transactions. And the earnout will be that you receive a certain percentage, maybe 50, 60, 70 percent of the agreed price up front, and the balance is at risk. Um, and it's pegged to performance in the future. Uh, it's really important if you're going to consider an earnout that you are going to stay involved in the business because you can't leave the performance of an earnout in the hands of another party, particularly Someone the buyer, because yeah. they might they've got every yeah you know, every reason, every right to uh, not meet those earnout targets. Yep. Therefore, you won't get that that money. So the earnout is effectively sharing the risk. Uh, with the buyer. The buyer is saying, look, we really like your business and we think it's going to go places, but we need you to back it a little bit. We need you to share the risk with us. Um, so they'll put that in place. Sometimes it's uh, it's a deferred payment arrangement, not an earnout. So they might again pay 50, 60, 70% up front and then the rest will be, you know, just paid over a period of time. But the, yep. they're not borrowing it from the bank, they're borrowing it from the vendor. So it's vendor finance. Effectively yeah. vendor finance. Yeah. Um, one of the alternatives to the earnout is also the stage buyout of equity. So um, there was a transaction that happened a couple of years ago um, in the recruitment market, and the buyer was Japanese, and they bought sixty percent of the company at a certain multiple, and then the, the following forty percent was split into two tranches um, with twelve month anniversary dates. And so they would, and it was subject to what you'd call put and call options. They would vest at the end of 12 months and so the the vendor or the buyer could execute one of those options and they could buy the next 20% or sell the next 20% after 12 months and the following uh, 12 months another 20% becomes vested and they can sell that. That's actually quite a, a good way of, of executing or achieving the same outcome um, because the vendor retains an equity stake in the business so they've still got skin in the game and the buyer isn't buying 100% of something and only paying 70% of the, of the money or 60% of the money in order to get that, that asset. So conceptually, I prefer that stage buyout model 
um, but in Australia, not as many companies will transact through a sale of shares as they will through a sale of business. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's a fair bit involved in this process. Um, we get to that point. What could possibly go wrong? Or where where have you seen deals go wrong? How long have we got, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> Give us a couple um, of examples. Oh, wow. I've had people die in the process. People get very, very sick. That's extreme. That's is very yeah. extreme, but it happens yep. um, or it has happened. Um, often what, what will come up to derail a deal is something that it was either unknown by the buyer. Yep. Uh, and so it crops up and they just... It's a big red flag and they just say, hang on, you didn't disclose that. There's a problem. We're yep. walking away. Yep. Um, and hopefully if you've done that pre-due diligence process you find those start, anyway. We yep. should know ahead of time what those are. Um, sometimes something will happen to the business that neither party expected or could be the economy that changes. Yep. Um, and that happened quite a lot in the lead up to the GFC. It was yep. quite a few transactions just got shelved um, before you know, after Lehman Brothers went down. It was, yep. you know, <laughs> all bets all were bets off. All bets are off for now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but typically it'll be because of something is found in due diligence that buyer doesn't like. That's yep. generally why a deal will fall over at that stage. That process, uh, I'm interested in a bit of an idea around how long does that typically take and what does it typically cost for a mid-market business to, to go through this process? The due diligence process or are we talking the about whole the whole thing. process? Yeah, the whole thing. Okay, so if you're looking at, oh, I guess it depends on the size of the business. I mean, we would normally start with a, we have a rack rate of about 5%. Um, of sale prices as success fee. As the businesses get larger, that percentage tends to decline yep. as the the value Makes sense. Uh, yep. you know, increases. Um, you're normally going to be charged a retainer for yep. 6 to 12 months uh, because the process takes 6 to 12 months. Um, yep. That's all the preparation work and lead up. Preparation, and documentation. Yep. And documentation and pre-due pre diligence work and all the advisory work that happens throughout that process, all of the you know, the process of actually selling the business yep. um, up to the point of consummating the sale. So generally we're, we're advising people it's going to take six to 12 months yep. to do that. Uh, look, it can go longer. My personal record is five weeks um, and I've also had clients for two years. So it really depends, but we typically say six to 12 months. Um, again, depending on the size of the business, the the other advisors will obviously have a, have a cost and that will vary. Um, for when you say other advisors, accountants, accountants lawyers. lawyers, yep, yep, yep. in particular. Yep. Um, but normally I see accounting fees at twenty to 30000 yep. uh, for the assistance they provide throughout the process. And lawyers, again, depending on the type of contract, whether if it's a sale of business, it's a much simpler contract, but it has other downsides um, yep. in terms of, the transition of, of the business to its new new owner. Yep. Um, if it's a sale of shares, the contracts are generally much thicker and the negotiations are a lot harder when the lawyers get involved and that can cost a lot more. Just explain why that's the case. What's, uh, sale what's of shares, when, when a buyer is choosing to buy the company rather than the company's assets, they're also buying the company's history. Yep. And so they're requiring the vendor to provide warranties uh, and indemnities against yep. things that might have happened in the past that the vendor either is aware of uh, and should yep. disclose, um, but hasn't, yep. or the vendor isn't aware of. Or doesn't of, so, even know about. Yeah, yep. so they might not have paid their tax bill, or, the, or they, they might have a, a tax bill that comes their way because a tax return was done incorrectly in the past. Right, okay. uh, And they should be yep. liable for that. Uh, they might have had a workers' comp 
or yep. a, a work cover claim or, or you know, someone got injured five years ago but never made a claim and all of a sudden they come out of the woodwork. Anybody who's familiar with workers' comp will know that they'll often just go after the person with the deepest pockets. Yep. So, you know, get a truck driver, they might have hurt their back playing cricket, but all of a sudden, oh, no, they hurt their back on your work site. Yep. So you've got to fight that. So the warranties really are there to protect the buyer from uh, any of those types of un- unforeseen claims or costs, and the vendor is really just saying that they're going to be responsible for those moving forward. Um, but the contracts just tend to be much thicker. They're more complicated. They're just more yep. complicated. They're, they're longer documents. Uh, there's a lot more involved. Overall, six to 12 months, total cost to sell, you know, a mid-market business. I know it's horses and <laughs> horses, but $10 million business. What, what can people expect to spend and why is it worth spending that money to do it properly? I think the total outlay is probably going to be, I think you should probably budget for 5% yep. at the top side. Uh, and that should include all your advisor's fees. Look, it might be a little bit more. Yep. Um, just depends on who you choose. Um, but for a $10 million business, that's probably about right. So on a $10 million business, 5%, you're talking about half a million dollars, $500,000. Yep. It's a fair bit of money. Why is that worthwhile doing to get it right? Well, as I said earlier, you only get one chance to do this. Uh, most people are only ever going to sell the business once. Um, they're not going to do it multiple times. And they generally just don't have the experience. So you do need to engage people who know what they're doing, who do this sort of stuff day in, day out. They've seen all the problems, they've seen all the pitfalls, and they know how to make the most of the process. Um, if you were to try and do it yourself, it's highly unlikely. I'm not going to say it's impossible yep. because nothing's impossible, but it's highly unlikely you'd be able to get a better result doing it yourself than you would if you hired advisors. Their job is to maximise the price for you, and they're going to do that by protecting you all the way through, but also because they know their way through the process, uh, and how to navigate it, and they know what to look out for, they're going to protect that value um, that you wouldn't be able to do yourself. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, number one tip for business owners thinking about or getting ready to sell their business, what would you say? Get ready. Uh, I was, in fact, just reading some research yesterday uh, on the mid-market, and it was one of the, from one of the big four firms, and the research was saying that of the you know, 18,000 or so mid-market businesses in Australia, two-thirds have no plan. Yeah. Um, so only a third have actually gone through the process of exit planning in any way, shape or form. And it's absolutely critical that you have a plan in place because if you don't, you're going to go into the process with you know, eyes wide open but really nothing in place. And you could, if you don't engage the right type of advisor, you'll be putting the business on the market and it's full of holes and it's not going to sell well. Andrew, thanks very much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Craig. And of course, if you want more tools and information to help you with what we've just talked about, head to the Midmarket Matters resources page at midmarketmatters.com.au. 